0: I'm
1: Good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you. If you guys would join me, we're standing seeing Angels from the Realms of Glory. down we're going to sing a little town of Bethlehem. You have a lost soul that's wandering in the darkness in the woods, in fear and you know, someone with a lantern points the way. They go that way, they find Christ in a brightly lit room and in talking with Christ, they decide they want to be that person with a lantern and they're going to go back out into the dark and Christ is going to go with them and that's that's the kind of um, savior that I see when we think about him being the light. It is that world of darkness that there's just no hope. And then Christ comes in, and he changes our lives. And then we go back out to let others know, um, and he goes with us. We'll a Away in the Manger. <laughs>
2: He's having a uh, pacemaker put in tomorrow morning, so if you pray for him. Skeet had uh, his biopsy on Monday, but uh, they came back with a clean bill of health as far as the biopsy goes. Here's what they said, we don't know why you're having this. So, okay, uh, that comforts your heart, I guess, but anyway, that's the way it is. Uh, Miss Juanita Posek was put into hospice care this afternoon, so uh, if you would pray for her... um, you know, she's 92? Is she 92 yet? She, her, at least her next birthday would be 92, so uh, just pray for her. It uh, seems like the Lord's working in that direction to call her home. And uh, let's see, then um, somebody else. Martha Mackey, thank you. Uh, Martha Mackey, so pray for her. She uh, has uh, has, – because this is an interesting one. It went around the prayer chain, and uh, she had a TIA or mini-stroke, and she's lost one side of her face. At least they think it's temporary. But the doctor literally said – because yesterday she had her booster for COVID, and the doctor said this can be a side effect for – okay, I don't know. You guys can – deal with your boosters however you want, uh, but anyway, and I have a picture to show you, look at that, no, it's not Devin and Jenny, they're here tonight, uh, Devin and Jenny will be going in tomorrow to be induced, 6 o'clock in the morning, to pray for them, uh, but this is Courtney Dean, Courtney and De- Jackson Dean's little one, little girl, uh, 6 pounds, 5 ounces, 19 and a half inches long, Quinn Taylor is her name, Quinn Taylor. So mom, it was a C-section, but mom's home. We got home today, and everybody's doing great. So uh, anyway, so just continue to pray for all of them. All right. Captain Black, come on up.
0: What I'm hoping to do tonight is to get past foundation and, and get ready to, um, in the next two weeks, to really talk about, with some degree of precision, how did we get here uh, in the 20th century and, and then where are we at in terms of the, some of the cultural uh, and, and current events. Um, but in this space here, if we don't understand the foundation for all of what's going on in the Middle East, it's, it makes no sense right? Um, but it can make sense when we approach it um, from the perspective where we're going. And so last week we looked at this this particular slide, and just kind of as a reminder, this is my definition of what Islam is. And I, I wrote it, or I designed it, or built it um, to be able to explain to our leadership after 9-11, what is Islam? I mean, because truthfully, the question that was asked over and over again in the Pentagon after 9-11, is what is Islam? I mean, most Americans knew that it was some religion that's over in the the Middle East, but nobody knew anything about it. Nobody looked, even though it it, it originated in 600 A.D., um, most people didn't comprehend it, didn't understand it, because we stopped teaching history of civilization in this country in the early 1960s. So it's a comprehensive system of thought, a replacement civilization. We aren't going to deal with that piece of it. Um, A distinct legal system within which is a religion. Now, you, you may say, well, why is that so important? Here's the reason why it's so important. Every human being lives by a comprehensive system of thought and life, lives by a legal system, and lives with a religion. Now, the issue becomes this. How do you define all that uniquely? And, and so when you ask the question of why do people do what they do, their system of thought in life drives that decision, drives those decisions. The particular legal system that they function under, whether it's personal or it's national or it's, it's corporate in some way, has a huge effect. And there are multiple legal systems that function in the world that we live in today. Um, it's where, the, where you get the decision, the, the, the understanding of what is right and what is wrong, what is appropriate, what's okay, what's not okay. And then religion. Um, we're going to talk about each of these to some extent this evening because if you get a handle on the idea that everybody has one, Many people can't define their their own, they just know how to live, and they know what's right and wrong, they know what's how they're supposed to be, they know how to express their religion. Um, many people don't know why, but for us, it ought not to be that way, because when you're asking the question, what constitutes Christianity, um, we we really ought to have a pretty solid handle on that, so... And so when we look at this, you can say Judaism has a, a comprehensive system of thought and life, a distinct legal system, and a religion. And so does Judeo-Christianity, right? And, and this is something that we, we see here in the United States, and it, it, it's foundational to understanding who we are as Americans, right? And, and that, therefore, has an impact in how do we deal with other nations, think conflicts in other places on the planet, etc. And then we go, oh, so it's not it's not bad enough that we have to deal with what is Islam, what is Judaism, what is Judeo-Christianity. Now we have to deal with what is modern paganism, and it is all of those three things that we were just looking at. What is modern liberalism, and what is modern wokeism, and and this this is what actually drives the train of what's going on in the news, and in all of the interactions that exist between human beings on the planet in the 20th. 20th and 21st century. So, a hundred years. A hundred years is a long time. Um, but in 1923, a man by the name of J. Gresham Machen wrote a book entitled Christianity and Liberalism, which I just happened to have a copy of. But you know why I have a copy of this? Because as a freshman in Bible college, or a sophomore, I guess, I guess it was, I had to read this, right? So that was 19... 19- Seventy-four, right? So I was reading a book that was at that point fifty-some years old, and and when he wrote this, I don't know that he really understood the significance of what he was writing, and the impact that it was going to have. But so so what what surprised me, and we're going to come back to that in just a minute, is that in the December second, twenty twenty-three edition of World Magazine, um, which I mentioned earlier about that that to you. Uh, several weeks ago, this book has been de- declared to be the book of the year. And so when, when, when World Magazine put that, I went, wow, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, I've, I've read this as, a, as an undergrad, as a grad student, and I, and, I, and I used it when I was teaching history of religion um, when we were in, still in Phoenix. Right? It is that significant. But it's also very relevant for where we are in terms of trying to understand this morass that we live in. And it's it's about the only word that I know um, to describe it. We were talking about goulash and chili earlier. It's sort of like that. I mean, there's just so much stuff. Modern liberalism is not Christianity at all. Now, these are Machen's words written in 1923, which is significant in terms of, of church history. In terms of uh, America in particular, but also in, um, in Europe, but a religion, which is so entirely different from Christianity as to belong in a distinct category. now when you when you try to unpack that, that, that sentence, um, you, you all of a sudden it, 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 it takes you a number of directions depending on on how your view of, of religion is and, and what your view of Christianity is. Um, and when when I was teaching this, and I was teaching this in a history of fundamentalism class as well as in church history, what I said was is that if you don't understand the doctrinal system associated with a particular religion, lifestyle, etc., you you don't understand what's going on, and it's incomprehensible to really try to figure figure it out. And when when Machen said in 1923 that modern liberalism, and this is your your mainstream denominations in the United States today in particular, it's so different from Christianity as to belong into a into a distinct category. Right? It's so he he said, You we have not moved, we have not changed, but these individuals in these denominational groupings, they have so changed what they believe so as to be different from Christianity. Right? It's not Christianity. But the the, the 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 way that this fleshes out is in the second statement, which also comes from the book. Modern modern liberalism, despite its liberal use of of traditional ph- phraseology, and when he when he was using it, he's he said what they do is they they use all the same words, but they have redefined them in such a way that they can use the word, and they know that they don't mean what we hear. All right. And one of the most one of the most significant phrases, as it relates to this, what does it mean to be born again? All right. In modern liberalism, it's a de- it's a word that has an entirely different definition than than what I mean. It is so far apart that it's not even a word in the same class. So he said it's um, it, it is okay. So let me back up. Um, modern liberalism, despite the liberal use of traditional phraseology, is not only a religion. From is not only a, a different religion from Christianity but belongs in a totally different class of religions now that's a that's an incredibly significant statement when we think about it okay so when we when we try to have a conversation with with someone who comes from a liberal church and we're talking about whatever you want to talk about, even away in a manger has an entirely different meaning. Even though they sing it, or they sing Silent Night, or they they have a, an entirely different view of this than what we do. <clears throat> and and so as we take a look at this, we, I would ask the question: What would Machen say today, a hundred years later? After the first thing is, is that I think he would be surprised that the book has even been written, read, being read rather. But that's that. But that's fairly significant, the fact that it is. And so when we think about religion, 2023 which is where we are today. Um, and you know, our, my original you know, insertion into this context was a religion 20, 2001, which is how I got into the, the, the discussion of Islam. So how many categories or classes of religion are there today, within and without Christianity? Okay, so understand that this, this body of classes and categories has, has grown um, in the last hundred years. And so what I want to look at tonight is just a, a few things that help us to maybe grab a hold of this so that when we actually take a look at some of this um, later on this evening and then going into the next couple of weeks, we can go, oh, I think I'm beginning to understand it. So we ask the question, what are the key universal religious terms and their different definitions? And, you know, it, it, it's frustrating that you have to say different definitions. Um, and this is the problem that we have because there are different definitions, different descriptions to each of these terms which are very significant. And so we're going to look at just, just four of, of, the, of, the, of the many terms that are used in, in what we call theology, systematic theology, um, which I stay away from is at all costs. Sorry. Um, I, I would much rather spend my time dealing with what's known as biblical theology, that is, build my theology from the Bible, not from the mind of man, and then historical theology to understand how men have understand men and women have understood over the centuries. All right. Um, so theology proper is 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 in each of these four when we when we take a look at it, have have significant relevance in terms of understanding what's going on in current events and future events in the twentieth and the twenty first century. Theology proper is the discussion of who is God, and I, I put the slash slash lowercase because. Who is God? I mean, the question that we all have to ask is, who is my God? How well do I know him? How well do I know who he is? How well do I understand what it means to, to, to talk about him? Anthropology, and I'm not talking about the, 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 uh, the liberal arts anthropology. I'm talking anthropology in, in the theological sense, which, which answers the question, who and what is man? All right? Who and what is mankind? And if we don't understand that, we don't understand human conflict. And then soteriology: what is the process of salvation? How do you how do you get on the right side of God? Um, is 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 a way of looking at this? And then eschatology: what is the future? Right? Um, if there is a future, and you go, what do you mean? In some of these religions, the the the, the degree and extent of hopelessness is so significant that life on 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 the earth is short, terminal, and when you're done, you return to dust, or you come back as an ant, or whatever the case may be. But all of that has a huge effect on how people, want, how people act, think, and react to each other. So now, um, let's dig in a little bit, all right? Theology proper. So there are really four options, four major options when we talk about theology proper. Theology um, one of them is monotheism, one God. All right. Now, we 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 consider our, ourselves to be in Christianity a one God theology. All right. Uh, and this is but this is where the, the the discussion of the Trinity becomes fascinating and so forth. But the monotheism basically is is a is a theological system that is exists within the context of the Abrahamic religions. All right. And the Abrahamic religions are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And, and, and that's it. Because all of the rest of the religions of, of the world um, do not have a single God as an aspect of who they are. And, and obviously we aren't going to be able to unpack the Islamic piece, but with reference to Judaism, it's, I mean, the Judaism is the Old Testament. It's the pre, pre-birth of Christ view of who God is, which we get from the, our Old Testaments. And then Christianity, um, which really brings Christ into it, of course. And then we have polytheism, which is many gods, all right? And, and this, is, this is very prevalent in, around the world, okay? And remember, it was an aspect of the Old Testament as well, and God said to Israel many times, don't follow the, the theology of, you, of your neighbors, of the, of the people where you're going to be going into captivity, etc., and then one that's that's um becoming extremely popular among those that are in the woke the new age etc is this panentheism right and they've redefined this and it says god is in over through and all now those are their words okay and and so it it's it, it's much more difficult to um to to get a picture of this to get a handle of it This this particular um, slide gives us an idea of it, and and you begin to see from the visuals the the, the way things have changed. So, in in theism or monotheism, we have God, and God does not live inside of the universe. All right, He is is outside of, beyond, before, and He will be after the physical universe. All right, so He's not he's, He's not inside of this as an inherent component. Now, is God, walk, is God aware of what's going on on planet Earth? Is, did Jesus live on the Earth? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit here among us, within us, etc.? Yes. But that's not the same as saying that God is the universe. Right? Now, And then we get into this. So when you get into pantheism, God equals the universe. All right. So in this, this, this physical realm that we live in, God is, God is everywhere, in everything. And then we have this panentheism. Um, God is in, over, through, etc. And it's a very very, it's a very, very confusing set of words that they use, but they visualize it this way. This is their way of trying to to illustrate it for us. Now, then we, we go to anthropology, and here's where we begin to get into a little bit more um, of, a, of a conflict as it relates to how we view ourselves and how we view other people. And so the options, if you will, in th- terms of anthropology are this man is created in the image of God, Genesis 1, and then however man fell, Genesis 3. This is a, a short synopsis of what who man is and what man relationship, man's relationship to God is, and, and, and this, this sets us apart from the rest of the religious communities, and secondly, man is a product of chance or evolution, all right? And this is your scientific view of this, which has a different God. And when you take a look at these views of anthropology, understand that the God that is the creator of mankind and we are created in his image is not the same God as as those that that believe that man is a product of evolution and chance. All right. Then there is the view that, that man is the supreme being in the universe, but... And they have a whole series of caveats that go along with that to, to enable them to, su- to support that belief system. And then there's those that say man is God, as if there's, there's no supreme being um, beyond. And man himself is the supreme being in the universe. All right? Now, there are consequences with, with each of these. All right? And they all relate to the issues of the value of life itself, um, it, and it, it has huge impact in view of the gender and the gender relationships, all right, um, and, and how we're created and what is our relationship with God. And so as you begin to unpack this in, in almost any area of life that you want to talk about, if you don't understand where you're coming from, you don't understand what you're going to be believing and how you're going to affect your life and how you're going to live your life as it relates to Everyone else in the world, right? And and so the the anthropology piece explains this Islamic war cry when they say we love death more than you love life, and when when they say that, they are not joking. Death for them is the objective. Now Paul says to die is gain, right? And there's the anticipation. That, that we we should love the anticipation of, of going to be home with the, the Lord for all eternity, all right? So death does not hold a fear for us because there's a certain future associated with it, but when when a Muslim says, we love death, and, and they love a certain kind of death, they love death, they love death that's in, the, in the, the prosecution of jihad because if they've fought and they've died in, a, in jihad, then they know that they've got a secure place in heaven. If they die a natural death, they don't know. They're uncertain because Islam does not have a certain future because Allah is a capricious God. He changes his mind on a daily basis. And so as, as most Muslims will be thinking about this, they're thinking, you know, how are the scales weighed today? Am I going to get to heaven, or am I going to get booted out when I die? And, and they, they have no idea of whether they've done sufficient number of works or not. They just know that if they if they die in jihad, that they go to heaven, and, and then all of the all of the things that that, that are part of uh, Islam as it relates to to death. And we, I don't want to get into all of that stuff. Um, but so they had a very different view of of, of the of why, why life is not important to them, all right? So soteriology, so when we take a look at it, it's planned by God to include a substitutionary sacrifice with a certain eternity that man believes in by faith, right? That's not what the rest of the world believes. Much of the rest of the world is in this second check mark. planned by God, they acknowledge that, but dependent upon the decision of man in his works with an uncertain future because they don't know if the if their their works have been sufficient to be able to get themselves into that future which for them is uncertain which changes the way that they view all of life there's a hope and a hopelessness there and then there's there's there are the religions where it's a complete unknown and it's a completely uncertain now and the, re- the the reason that I want you to understand this is because when, when I'm looking at people and I'm talking to people, if you don't know where they're coming from from their religion perspective, you really don't know how they're going to act and how they're going to function. And so what happens is, is this, depending on their soteriology, they are going to view their value system very differently, their earthly, and their earthly values. Um, they're going to view the value of others and life in general very differently, right? Because it's a function of their belief system, it's a function of their legal system, it's a function of their thoughts, etc. Now, eschatology becomes important as well here. I mean, so you, you think, when we take a look at the future, uh, the end times, it's, a, it's planned by God before creation, right? Well, it wasn't an afterthought. It's only partially ve- revealed to man. We don't know all the answers. How many people want to know what happens when we die and go to heaven? We have these dreams, we have these ideas, but nobody's come back and talked talk to us. Even those that have gone and come back, Paul, John, he didn't. They, neither of them said very much. They just, you know, it's, it's it's a minimal amount of information. But God has also said to us, "Those are the secret things." You know, um, allow me to surprise you, right, if you will, and. and we should not be fearful of those surprises, because we have a good God. We know him to be a good God, and and there's a certain future, and that cannot there's, I cannot tell you how important it is. for all the rest of the future is a complete unknown for the most part. It's an unknown in part for us, but it affects the way that we view life on earth, and affects we and this is where because the God is uncertain. How they get that, how they are viewing of themselves is uncertain. How they're viewing their soteriology, or how they get to heaven, if they if they have a heaven, affects and affects their moral, ethical, and legal mores and values. And so, what we have to realize is that we, and when I say we, I'm talking about we as Christians, but by therefore default, I say we as Americans because by and large everything that we know as as to what is a, it means to be an american is a function of a judeo-christian belief system it's it's a function of what is what is written in this book and it's a book that hasn't changed that's been been looked at read studied lived by for centuries. right, And it affects what is moral, what is ethical, what is legal, what is legitimate in terms of what I can do. And all of these things put together, if you just take these four areas of theology and, and try to unpack them in the lives of all the other people that we're dealing with, what we realize is that it's, it's no wonder we are talking about different things in different ways and, and there's, there's there doesn't seem to be any um ability to, to reconcile these things all right now there's there's so as we as we continue to look at this okay so remember we, i've tried to deal with some terms but not all of them by any stretch of the imagination and and i'm looking at them from our perspective but remember everybody else is looking at the terms and terminology as well and the history of their, t- those terms and so there's a specific a general a history, the historicity aspect of things, where did it origin, when did it origin- originate, when where did it originate? Why did it originate? And then we get into the, the redefinition stuff and so forth and so on. Now, we're gonna, we're gonna take a step back, and I and I want you to start to think through the the, the ramifications of, of some of these terms in light of the current events, right? And Whether it's current events in the Middle East, whether it's in Washington, D.C., it's in Beijing, you know, pick a location, okay? So when we talk about the word Israel and Israelites, we're talking about a word that is very broad. It's a personal name, Israel. It's a land. It's a people group. And there are several other things that could be put into that list, right? So then there's Judah, right? It's a personal name, it's a tribe. And and when we when we start to understand these things, things begin to fall into place. Judaism, right? When you when you hear the word Judaism, it's a religion, it's a belief system. And does an Israelite have a belief system that would generally be described as Judaism? And how these start to correlate, right? Then we have Jew and Jewish, right? A Jew is a person, it's a people group, it's a cultural community. And so as we look at this, Here's one of the questions that we have to deal with. When we talk about Jewish as a cultural community, is it possible to be Jewish but not be a Jew? Okay. Now I'm going to I'm going to throw in a ringer here and throw it in this way. Is it possible to be in a cultural sense, a Christian, or to be part of Christianity, but not be a Christian, right? And and so that's that's where this begins to take its interesting turns as we wrestle with this, all right? Um, I mean, I, you know, I've heard this for years. Um, we we have all these um, acronyms that that. End the same way, but they the, the the leading letter in the in the acronym changes. It's the I N O. Acronyms, in name only, Chino, Christian in name only, Rhino, Republican in name only, and there's there's a hundred of those and every single one of them is significant because it tells you something about the person it also sets up conflict in terms of people groups if somebody were to say Wayne you're a rhino i would say i am not i say i'm an american who believes in the republic and republicanism all right i would be that, i would take that to be an insult but a Democrat who is said to be a rhino, that, that takes on a different set of connotations, okay? Now, then Hebrew, all right? <clears throat> now, Hebrew can be used in a variety of ways. It's a person or a people group, but it's also a language. And so we, we talked about this previously. It's a language that died, effectively speaking, around AD 200. Now, why things happen in history become important why do you think that hebrew as a language died around ad 200 what had happened what has happened in the 130 years before then over the course of the 130 years preceding it right and so it became a dead language. Well, now, if it's a dead language, there's something else that goes along with it. It has a dead history. The traditions go away. The culture goes away. And language becomes extremely important. Now, uh, let me um, let me address a an, an Ameri- a problem that we have in the United States. All right if we If you go back and you read our history, was America a multilingual nation, and what was the what was the normal expectation of someone who wanted to become a citizen of the United States? The first thing that was on the on the on on the uh the the plate of things to do was to do what? Learn English. And until you learned the English, you couldn't learn all the, and read all of the things that you were, like the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the things, etc. And the expectation was, if you were an American, you were an English-speaking person. Now, did that mean that you didn't speak German at home, perhaps? Not necessarily. But it was the language of the nation. And English is very different in terms of the structure, as well as the history, as well as the building of the common law and the terms and terminology that affected the way we live, the way we do things, okay? So now we get to these these, other, these, these last four terms, Semite and Semitism, all right? A Semite, in its linguistic use, is is a person who speaks a Semitic language. Now here's where it really gets interesting from the perspective of current events and the future. And this is why language and the existence the, the existence of languages becomes important, right? Arabic is also a Semitic language. So if 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 you're wanting to control who is a Semite, you are then going to try to control which language is the Semitic language. So when Hebrew essentially died in AD two hundred, and remember last week I talked about the the re, the, 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 uh, the the rebuilding of the Hebrew language in the late eighteen hundreds. All of a sudden, now there was competition from a language perspective and a history perspective that had not been in existence in the Middle East for hundreds of years. All right? Um, And then so we talk about what is Semitism. So it's a policy. Now we're we're introducing another idea. It's a policy favorable to Jews so would we describe ourselves as americans as a sem- as in favor of semitism pro semitism now what does that mean from a from a from a national policy perspective our national policies are in favor of and is favorable to the Jews. We can have policies as it relates to a lot of things, some of which are 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 conflicting in, in nature. But if we are, if we have said that that as a as a core, our nation is going to be favorable to the Jews. And so they have a step up, if you will, in terms of our national foreign policy. What does that mean by way of implication? In the Middle East in particular. It means that we're not pro-Arab. We're not pro-Palestinian. We may have national... Engagement with them, but at the in the back of our minds, from a national policy perspective, everything that we do is in favor or it makes we were making certain that what our decisions are, they're in favor of Israel and the Jews. why? what's the reason behind that? well there's there's an there's another very specific reason as it relates to that those who bless Israel are what what by by God so if you ask the question as a nation do we want to be blessed by God? And the Bible is foundation to developing our national foreign policy, and it had been. That means if if we want God's blessing and you God bless America and so forth and so on, the the that which is behind that is the idea of of Israel. Israel is inherent to and, and our approach toward Israel and toward the Jews is is inherent to how we function. So, now we have Zion and Zionism, right? Zion is a synonym for Jerusalem or the land of Israel as a whole, right? Um, Zionism is a movement for the establishment and the protection of a Jewish homeland in Israel. Now, let's think this through, right? So, if we have a national foreign policy that that basically is is, is favorable to Israel, and part of that foreign policy is to be in support of the movement among the Jews and and, and others in the world for the establishment and protection of a Jewish homeland in Israel, that, that alone... That's the U.S. up for conflict. <clears throat> now, what if there is the 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 um, the inclination of some Americans, political, educational, etc., that says pro-Palestine? Can you be pro-Palestine and pro-Israel or pro-Jewish at the same time? Not really, right? You can be ambivalent, maybe. But at the end of the day, when, when push comes to shove, you have to decide which side of the conflict are you going to be on and why, right? And so it, it's it's sort of like looking at it this way, okay? I, I alluded to the fact that, you know, I would say I'm an American, I'm I'm more than willing to to pledge allegiance to the flag. I'm more than willing to sing, to, to sing all verses of our national anthem. I'm more than willing to support the Constitution, as it was written by the founding fathers, with an understanding of the the Judeo Christian Judeo Christian foundation that it was written from. And and and. Recognizing the fact that, that you 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 have to make the decision as a nation what flag are we going to live under, right? Is that is that the only American flag? If you go if you go down to Arizona, New Mexico, and Southern California, you know what flag is flown? The Mexican flag. In many in many areas, you know what flag was flown in Washington D.C. and the the area surrounding it the day of 9/11? It's green. It's the flag of Islam. If you went through Falls 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 Church the day after 9/11 you would have not seen in many, many places the U.S. flag. You would have seen the flag of Islam flying on the primary flagpoles. Now, this is this is the history, right? This is where we are. And so we have to ask ourselves the question as Americans and as Christians, where do we stand, Right? How do we understand what's going on? Now, if we, if we back up a couple of slides, and I'm not going to actually go back in the slides, but as we, as we move forward and we ask ourselves the question in terms of the current events aspect of things that we're going to get into in the next couple of weeks, <clears throat> is there any significance to the idea of who's the king who reigns from Jerusalem Who's the king of kings and lord of lords who said he's going to he's going to land in Jerusalem Now is there anybody else that thinks that they should be coming back and they should be be in control and Jerusalem should be their headquarters Yes and who might that be? Huh? Jesus. Jesus, okay, yeah. Right? Jesus is coming back and he said he's going to return to Jerusalem. But who else believes that that they should be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem? And Allah. Allah. And and who's who's the primary Um, adversary in this eschaton that we're engaged in. Satan, Lucifer, right? So when when we look at the Middle East, if we don't view it through that lens with an understanding that everything that goes on in the Middle East is a function of a religious war that began before creation when Satan fell... And the conflict began and when God made statements about the nation of Israel who are the Israelites, who are the Jews etc. and he called them who? Who are the Jews? The chosen chosen people God's chosen people so If they are God's chosen people, who is everybody else not? So do you see where this thing begins to unfold? And it's all based on these kinds of terms and the meaning and the significance of it and the theologies that go along with it, and then what is right and what is wrong, based on who the God of that particular system is. So everything that we've seen um, that that was going has gone on in Gaza, and everything that's 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 causing great struggle for Israel and the IDF and so forth, is is because of the morals and the mores and the belief system and the legal system and, and so forth, what is legal and what is not legal, in the particular religious system, and so if if, if for example, and this is not a a just an arbitrary example that I'm going to use, if killing a Jew is a legal responsibility for every Muslim, if, and I'm just going to say it, if raping a Jewish woman is a legal responsibility for every Muslim, Why should we expect anything different? Why should we have expected anything different in Gaza? And all the rest of the things that happen happen within the legal system, the moral system, the religious system of Islam. But if you don't understand the background to all of this, this conflict has been going on since the beginning of time. And um, yes, we'll look at at some of it, but... Everything that I've, I've dealt with over the last five weeks, four weeks, rather, um, it was getting us to this point so that when we talk about things like the Belfort Declaration and we talk about the, the, the UN Declaration, et cetera, they have a context, right? So this is this is the, the, the end, I, I think, of tonight, um, except to say that we're going to get to the wars, we're going to get to the geopolitical events, and we've really covered most of the religious issues that are associated with this. I mean, you understand the why, the how come, you know, and it, it, does, it, does, it, does it rack your brain? Yes, absolutely, right? And, and we'll, 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 we've talked about the, some of the historical covenants and, and so forth. We can't get into all of those, but all the way going back through, through human history, um, who, who controls Jerusalem has, has, control, has dominated what goes on in the Middle East since way, 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 way back B.C., all right? Um, So, and with that, I'm stopping. And I guess it's time for prayer, right? All right.